Hallo, 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 hallo. Welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. My name is Manuel Feit and uh, yeah, we're back. Back to discuss yet another show um, and helping me to, to chat about all the stuff that's going on in the world of football. And I think we have to talk once again, Manchester United, um, the very club that we named our show after. And um, it appears like they have found a new coach. But before we do this, let's introduce the other guys. Um, joined once again by Josh. Josh, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's going well. I know one of the talking points today is going to be quite painful to touch on. But other, other than that, I'm, I'm always excited to get, uh, get going on another podcast with you guys. Yeah, sorry, and we will have to talk about it, Josh, but um, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Um, but yeah, uh, before we talk about Josh's club, before we talk about Manchester United, um, let's bring in Adrian Sosa first. Adrian, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, it's a, I mean, not as bad as Josh because my club is still in the competition technically. But, um, I mean, we'll get to it. I'm, I'm really excited, man. This is going to be fun. We had some MLS playoffs, which were great. We had some good Champions League action this week. So it should be a fun show. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, too, because it is a good mix this week, I feel. We have domestic football. We have international. We have, once again, Manchester United. Um, we should have just called this the Red Devils podcast and be done with it. Because, you know, this has been so heavy, Manchester United. And... Um, we seems like that now that Ole is gone, ruined the name that of our show, um, they have found a replacement. And Adrian, I'm going to go to you first because the two of us, we chatted about this guy very recently on Rabona TV, your YouTube channel. Um, it looks like Ralf Rangnick is doing exactly what I anticipated he would be doing, um, coming in as an interim until the end of the season. And then he will be on a two-year consultancy role with Manchester United. And um, I never had any doubt that he would take that job. I think the the one thing that the two of us discussed on the show, on your show, was whether Manchester United would welcome the Fox into the chicken den, right? Um, because obviously Ralph Rangnick is someone who will break a few eggs uh, once he gets gets a job going. And I think, and this is very curious, what you think, Adrian? This is exactly what Manchester United need, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's what sort of the baffling thing about this is that it seems like finally Manchester United is making a football first decision. They're making a decision that will ultimately be to the benefit of the football side of things instead of just, oh, we'll, we'll keep Michael Carrick around and try to do Ole Gunnar Solskjaer around too, see if he does well enough to offer him a full contract. You know, he's not as legendary as Solskjaer, of course, but, you know, he had a good run at Manchester United. He won the big trophies with them, so the fans wouldn't necessarily turn on him. But no, it seems they've gone out, and it was rumored a while ago, because we even spoke about it on this podcast, that Ralph Rangnick was one that was sort of being recommended to take the reins there, get them playing some better football, because even as a manager, he still has a lot to offer. Quite clearly, one of the, the godfathers of German football, modern German football, at least. Um, and then if he is to take on that consultancy role, like I said, that's one of the most surprising things. There's a lot of Manchester United fans coming back to that video that I posted and saying, I can't believe that they made this decision with the for the betterment of the club. It's, it's something... That says a lot of that board and is really an indictment of it for the fact that they're surprising their fans with good decisions. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. It's it's super interesting, actually, in so many levels, because, of course, um, we've seen 
Ralf-Rangnick do this before at, at Leipzig, uh, before that at Hoffenheim. Um, I'm actually currently working on an article and I had a very long, interesting talk today um, with, with some people about it. And this is in the works and there will be a few months until I finally get this, put this together. It's essentially a piece on how football clubs get built out of nothing. And Ralf-Rangnick has, of course, kind of done that twice, first at Hoffenheim um, and then at RB Leipzig. Uh, where he sort of worked in the background, um, you know, helped put everything in place um, as a coach, but also more importantly in a sporting director or management role, and which in Germany is of course very different than the management role is in English football. And, and you know, he is certainly someone who is a builder, someone who puts together things and um, construction has a bigger picture in mind. And this is sort of what he his current role is with Lokomotiv Moscow, where he is a consultant. Um, in a consultancy role and um, he founded a consultancy company to help that club to get better and uh, put things in motion. And I guess now he is actually coming back to a coaching role until the end of the season, which will give him a really good overview of what's going on at Manchester United. They put the things in place and then obviously over the two years following um, has the ability to then put other things in motion, restructure the club um, on so many different levels. And that's really quite interesting. And we see this quite a bit in German fo football, right, Josh? I mean, Matthias Sommer was at Bayern Munich um, right around that time when Bayern Munich was heavily threatened by your club, Borussia Dortmund, um, sort of in a similar role where he worked in the background, helped the club restructure. And then Matthias Sommer went into a hiatus. And then now, of course, is it Borussia Dortmund where there seems to be a lot of work. But this consultancy role with Rangnick, I mean, it is quite common in German football, and it's really fascinating that we're going to get to see it in English in English football now too. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited. Uh, I said a few times when uh, the story was going around that I think this is the perfect decision to do because it gives him an opportunity to go right in there, right in the thick of things. He's going to take this this team over. I think he's going to do a much better job than Ole was doing, and he can get to know everything there is to know about United. And there's no better place to do it than in the dugout. Hopefully, he'll be able to learn to that, and then he'll be able to sit back after. Again, I'm assuming he's going to have more more success in the six months uh, in charge than uh, Ole is going to. And then after that, he gets to go back and basically make sure that the club doesn't fall, find themselves in the exact same situation they are now. And and I've seen some of the work that he's done. I really liked him when he was at, at Leipzig. And he, we knew he was only there for an interim. So we know he's got a lot of passion and a lot of uh, intelligence to bring, even if the role is temporary, which like that Leipzig season was where he was there and, and was successful. And I think that uh, this is the perfect step and it's funny that you guys did that episode on uh on adrian's channel because uh if i was a united fan right now i'd be pretty happy yeah it's, it's really worth watching because like of course we go really in depth on that one adrian and i think i think what's going to be really interesting about this is going to be who he is going to decide is going to be the new manager essentially under him and um What's happening now is not something new. Remember when Leipzig signed uh, Julian Nagelsmann, of course, they had to wait for a year because Nagelsmann was still at Hoffenheim. So Nagelsmann coached the entire season at, at Hoffenheim before he could uh, join Leipzig. And in that year, uh, Rangnick was in charge at Leipzig. So he is a, he is a person that is very much uh, has the ability to kind of lay the groundwork while also looking for a new coach and um, basically hand over a product to that coach that is ready made for that coach in mind. So I think what's going to be really interesting, and, and this is a question for both you, uh, Adrian, and also Josh. So I, I have an opinion. I think 
when I look around the Premier League, but also someone who has been under Rangnick before, and of course it wasn't a perfect end to their relationship, but then sometimes, you know, people go apart and then uh, maybe find their way back together. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Ralf Hasenhüttl is part of the conversation at Manchester United next season. But what do you think, Josh? Who's who's going to be the next coach at United? And then, of course, once you you give you 50 cents, maybe I'd be curious what you think, Radian, as well. I mean, that's an interesting shout. I feel like moving from Southampton to United is, is a bit of a step. I know that he's a good manager, and, and when he took that Southampton job, he had a lot of hype around him. I just, I don't, I don't know if he would be the perfect fit. In in my opinion, I just think that this kind of job was made for for Pochettino. I still think that it makes so much sense. When we talked about it literally in the last the last pod, seeing, and it seems like now since there's an interim manager, which is, could could be the nice decision that way, Pochettino could finish up the season. He's not be forced at the door. Once the season comes to an end at PSG, if Pochettino doesn't live up to expectations, which kind of looks like PSG is going to be, in my opinion, challenging probably for the Champions League in terms of, of winning it. I think there's a few big obstacles and a few better teams in front of them. And then Pochettino and, and them go their separate ways. Zidane takes over PSG. Pochettino takes over United. Ralph Rangnick moves back into the consultant room and making sure that they're full speed ahead. I, I feel like that makes more sense. I know that it's it's a little bit more complicated than it probably looks, but... If I was United, I'd probably try to look down that route unless a random other manager pops up that is more qualified, but that's kind of where I'd be looking right now. Yeah, and I think I think that Pochettino still is the guy that they're going to go after. You know, we've seen some of these articles that are saying that United have sort of been flirting with Pochettino for the last five years or so, which doesn't make a ton of sense because if you think about it, there's quite a stretch where Pochettino was unemployed and <laughs> Manchester United were pressing forward with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so... I don't know how much to read into that, but I think that the ultimate goal for, I mean, a lot, I think the dream role, the dream signing would be Eric Ten Hag from Ajax. I think that's who a lot of people would like to see signing up at Manchester United, just because he's proven how he can build something and have a sort of congruent style of play that, that he builds over seasons. You know, he had a season where he lost Frankie de Jong, Matthijs de Ligt. He lost Donny van de Beek after that. He lost Ziyech, et cetera. And now he's built Ajax back up to looking, I mean, is it crazy to say that they almost look stronger than that other team from the 18-19 uh, campaign? I don't know. So I think that Eriksen Haag, there are some some obstacles there because apparently his English isn't great and he's happy to stay at Ajax for now. But I think that would be the ultimate goal for at least a lot of United supporters to try and get him in. But the more likely scenario as laid out by Josh, I think would be Pochettino. I don't think so. I, I can't see it being Pochettino knowing Rangnick's work. I don't think it's going to be him. Um, I mean, I, this this is just speculation. I might be completely wrong, but I see Pochettino's body of work, um, the way and the places he's worked in the past, the work he's currently doing at PSG. And I look at what Ralf Rangnick has decided in the past and the play, people that he's gone after, and I just don't see a fit. Um, I think it's going to be someone who is going to surprise us. Um, I mean, you could argue the same thing about Hasenhüttl, I guess, but I would actually look at people that currently work at Red Bull or people who are currently working in a completely different market, but just play his high pressing style of football, uh, as possible candidates. I mean, I, I'm speculating. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. What do you think, Josh? 
you make you make an interesting point um and it's funny like i mean i i still do think that pochettino will get it but again that is complete speculation as well but i think depending on who gets announced because like i mean when i'm going through the the timeline there and thinking of the perfect appointment to get pochettino in as Renek steps into his uh his consulting job um it it might not it might not happen and if it goes the other way it's i think it's going to tell us exactly how much pull Ralph Rennick is going to have at Manchester United. We made the the joke of letting a wolf into the, the chicken hen, the chicken, whatever that reference you guys made was. Chicken den. <laughs> the chicken den. Um, and if if they're going to let him do whatever he wants, because I personally think if he was going to go for one of his buddies who isn't very established, and again, not that Southampton isn't the job that everyone, you know, like it's not like it's a, it's, it's a Premier League job, it's a good job. He had good body work as well at Leipzig, but I feel like that would rub Manchester United fans the wrong way. And it's going to tell me basically who gets announced about how much power and how much control Ralph is going to get at this club. Yeah, but I, I, I just feel like that Ralph is non, not someone who will really care about popular choices. No, I think you're right in that regard. But like Josh was saying, it's it's going to be very evident just how much power he has based on this next appointment because he does, you know, that's that's the big mystery here is we don't know how much power he will have over this board. Is it still going to be a fight for him in order to convince them to sign, let's say, a, a Ralph Ragnick or, I don't know, or sorry, a, <laughs> he's going to sign himself to sign a, a Ralph Hasenhutl or, you know, would he go for a Yaisel or, I don't know, but it's, it's going to be a battle, I think. And you would think that similarly to what we talk about with Antonio Conte going to Tottenham and will he be able to demand what he wants from the board? Will Regnick in his consultancy role be given as much power as he had at a Leipzig, at Salzburg within the Red Bull football umbrella? That's going to be the major question. It's going to hold most of the sway as to who gets appointed because I think that Manchester United do have their eye on Pochettino. That's at least how, who they've had their eye on in the past. Going forward, this might be the big change. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And Ralf Rangnick, of course, is someone when things don't go his way, he will leave. Left at Hoffenheim, left uh, eventually at Red Bull. Uh, Schalke, a club that he manages well, you know, and he will promise to restructure even in Bundesliga too. When things didn't go his way, he will walk away from a job. And if United don't give him what he wants, he will leave. And this can be in the middle of the season, you know, it can be a Klinsmann-esque exit but it will happen if united do not give him what he wants and that's going to be i think that's going to be the most fascinating thing to watch um will united offer enough to rangnick for him to actually see through his project because i think this is the way it's going to trend and i i think that's a fascinating one to watch and of course something that we're going to keep an eye on and yeah again uh Adrian and I did that show on his Rabona TV channel. So um, please check that out. Maybe Josh, uh, we can put that in the links uh, in the show afterwards for people to, to, if they listen to this podcast, if we can link that through, I think that'd be a fantastic thing to do. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, but guys, we need to move on to the Champions League. And Josh, I watched that game yesterday. Um, Borussia Dortmund against Sporting. Or Sporting against Borussia Dortmund. And... I have a game, I have a Bundesliga channel, right? Um, the Gegen Pressing podcast where we break down every match day in the Bundesliga in quite a lot of detail every week. And um, one of the clubs that we've talked about in great lengths this season is Borussia Dortmund, like we do every year because they're one of Germany's two biggest clubs. But this year, it seemed they just seemed to be so very frustrating. And this is despite the fact that they're just one point behind Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga standings. And with everything that's going on at Bayern Munich, we discussed that earlier this week with all the quarantine, of course, Joshua Kimmich now testing positive and being out for the Klassiker. There's a lot of things going on. And so when you look at the Bundesliga table, you say like, oh yeah, there's a really interesting title race actually going on. Borussia Dortmund in so many ways have also been frustrating. And I think that frustration really manifested itself in the Champions League. First, the two games against Ajax. And yes, there were mitigating factors. Um, as I pointed out in my Forbes article yesterday, there were mitigating factors in that defeat to Ajax, the second one, right? But on the other hand, they were also smashed in the first match when Haaland was on the field. And yesterday, that first 45 minutes, there's a beautiful German term uh, called Arbeitsverweigerung, refusal to go to work. And I felt like that was pretty much what the, the described that Borussia Dortmund side. It was like they were not on the field. Yeah, um, the biggest thing with me this season around Dortmund, and it's funny you talk about results, like any other season so far, if you're one point behind Bayern, you'd you think, great, there's a title race. Maybe we can go toe-for-toe for them over the 34 games. But I feel like, and I don't think this is, I think this is going to be a consensus decision, is that we're very lucky to be sitting one point behind Bayern right now because we have not played good football. And you can look at a lot of different reasons to that. I mean, I a lot of People are not wanting to point the finger yet at Marco Rosen, and I get that because it's going to war with without any any backup. It, it really is because the amount of injuries we had is something that I haven't seen in quite a long time. A lot of decisions are, are going to be made around uh, who's to start, and Marco Rosa seems like he just keeps kind of getting it wrong. I, I didn't understand the starting 11, which is, in my opinion, that goes down to Marco Rosa. I thought there was better options on the bench to try to play the system that he wants. There's not a clear identity out there in the field. The substitutions baffled me, and it has to be a little give and take. I know the injuries are there, but it's something that every team has to deal with. And I think the biggest issue with Marco Rosa right now is the fact that he simply just can't find an identity. He can't find a fit starting 11. And like you said, that first 45 minutes, they just absolutely did not threaten whatsoever. Absolutely nothing. And it was just a frustrating result. It was sitting there in the watch along and wondering what was to come. And then, of course, this, in my opinion, sums up the performance and the luck of Dortmund this season is the fact that Guerrero is coming back from injury, a player who is just so technically gifted. I know he plays at left back, but he drifts into the midfield. He creates chances, free kick specialist, corners. He's, he's a very important player to this Dortmund side. And he was supposed to start at left back. He picked up an injury. 
Schultz got put in his replacement and then had a calamity at the back to miss hit the ball just to lead to the opening goal. So it, it it's just the way it's been at Dortmund and and right now, I mean, deservingly so after this Champions League campaign, we're going to the Europa League. Yeah, I, I just find it there's there's a few things that stood out to me. And um of course the red card against Ambershawn, and I think it was one. Um you cannot behave the way he did. He came on the field at um looking for a fight, I thought, and um hasn't been the player he he has been billeted to be ever since he joined Borussia Dortmund. Um, you can argue it was already gone at Juventus, right? And um, train wreck of a player yesterday. And it's, I think you can uh, lose to Sporting. Um, you know, it's the first time that Sporting have beaten a German side. Uh, we seem to have a lot of things like that going on this year. But I think it, the first 45 minutes were just such a letdown. Uh, so much negativity about this team and I think maybe the final point about um, Dortmund here Josh before we we give Adrian the floor and to talk a little bit about sporting is Daniel Marlin at least I mean this is the maybe the only glimmer of hope that you can have from the last two games is that he has now scored two goals in a row right yeah it's 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 funny because I was I was really on on like it's it's a trend in past seasons with Dortmund where they don't have a proper backup and I think I've spoken about this on the podcast I've definitely spoken about it on my channel and it was the reason I was really excited about Daniel Mullen and it was the reason in my opinion we lost out on the title by those two points against Bayern is because when when Paco wasn't there our, our number nine we were playing cams at, at striker we were playing left wingers right wingers at striker we would toss anyone up there and hope something would happen because we never had a proper backup striker and I thought the fact that bringing in someone with a little bit of speed a, a little a unique style of playing as a striker bringing in someone like Donny Mellon he can play out wide when needed when Holland's fit and then guess what when Erling Holland is injured because there's a chance that that could happen and, and it did happen you have a striker there who can step up and score goals and it just it didn't seem like that might have happened this season Mullen has been he's been working hard I, I have to give him that but he just didn't look like a player that was ever going to find the back of the net he looked very out of form he looked very lack of confidence he had a good op- opportunity for a few goals as well in the last couple of games that he just wasn't able to take. But finally, I mean, he, he has been a player this season who has definitely taken his chances to, to shoot. He'll shoot from just about anywhere. Not None of them have gone in really, except for the last couple of games. And that's, you saw it in, in the goal he scored against Stuttgart. He took that shot on and he was able to get in the right position here for a little tap in against Sporting. So the one glimmer of hope is that hopefully Mullen comes good because we are going to need goals. We are going to need him to step up. We don't know if and and when Holland's going to come back, and about how many games he's going to come back now that we're not in Champions League. I mean, maybe question marks about his future come up. So it'd really be nice if the big money signing that we had was able to find form and start putting the ball in the back of the net if Dortmund want any chance to save the season and compete for the title. Yeah, 100%. Uh, two big games, of course. They're playing Wolfsburg on the weekend and then Bayern Munich in the Klassiker. Bayern Munich, of course, without um, several key players because COVID-19 is hitting Germany hard. And Bayern Munich, of course, as well. And uh, I guess we'll we'll talk in greater lengths about that um, probably in the coming weeks. But Adrian, before we move on to some of the other Champions League topics that we have, wow. Uh, first, two things that stood out to me with the sporting side. Uh, Pedro Gonçalves, fantastic performance by him. That second goal was beautiful and just an absolutely stunning goal. But I also felt that uh, Ruben Amorin, the head coach, he just... 
you know, you, you, yeah, you play a wounded, wounded animal in Borussia Dortmund, but I feel like he, he got everything right in this game, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely did. And he's been getting things right for, <laughs> I say quite a long time now, but the reality of it is he only started managing, I think it was in 2020, in early 2020 or late 2019 is when he took over at Braga. And then two months later, Sporting actually paid the release clause to sign him from Braga after, this comes after Ruben Abarim had beaten Sporting in the Taça de Portugal, the Portuguese Cup um, <laughs> final. And so he goes to Sporting in his season following, he ends up winning the league. He does fantastic with a young, dynamic Sporting side. Now he, he, he won another cup with Sporting. He wins the league. He goes into the Champions League. He makes it out of the Champions League group stage for the first time in 13 years for Sporting. It just keeps going up and up and up his trajectory. And when we talk about, you know, managers that maybe Ragnick could be looking at, there has been rumors that potentially Ruben Amarim was being considered for Manchester United. But I don't know. Could it be a step too far? It's... It's it's difficult to say because, you know, I you bet against him, but now in the Champions League, he's finishing above Borussia Dortmund, like you said, a wounded animal, but you still have to beat them on the day. Just behind Ajax, well, quite a bit behind Ajax, let's be honest. Um, but it, things are certainly looking good for Ruben Amarim, and we're yet to see a real misstep from him. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's it's quite a big success, and it'll be interesting to see how far he can take that sporting side. Um, hopefully for them, they don't have to face someone like Bayern Munich in the next round, because I think we all know how that would end. But uh, speaking of Bayern Munich, we, we're going to go straight to their group and Bayern Munich make it six out of six, uh, beat Dynamo Kiev 2-1. Um, I think Alfonso Davies training for this match at, in Edmonton, snowy pitch, snowfall in Kiev, very cold. Uh, Bayern Munich do really literally the, the bare minimum to, to get a win there. Um, they are first in the group. That's decided. But, and I'm going straight back to you here, Adrian, Barcelona or Benfica can still make it through um, into the next round of the Champions League. They both confirmed at least to finish third, right? Seferovic is not going to go into your fan book, is he now, Adrian? Because that was a massive miss in that game. And um, I guess you really just have to hope that Bayern do their usual thing and win every, every single group stage game. Yeah, that's that's what we're all sort of praying for. We're hoping that Bayern just goes back to Bayern robot and destroys Barcelona. Maybe takes another opportunity to slam dunk on them and uh, maybe get some pleasure out of sending them to Europa League. We would be happy to see that, of course, as Benfica supporters. But yeah, like you said, Seferovic, definitely not a fan. I don't want to hear his name anymore. It's too many times that we see him do this kind of thing. And then he'll score a, some sort of garbage goal in another match and he'll put his fingers to his lips to the Benfica supporters. So we're done with him. I can't believe he scored two goals against France in Euro 2020. <laughs> that was insane. But yeah, I think that Xavi is, you saw little glimpses of the slight changes that he's making to this Barcelona side. They did look improved in some areas. However, they still are there for the taking when it comes to defending and a quick counterattack like Benfica was doing with Darwin. Again, it was sort of a rinse and repeat, although Darwin didn't start this match. He came on late. Um, and had a big part in nearly scoring himself. And he set up Seferovic for that absolute blunder that was like a below a donkey finish at this point. So, yeah, it's not in our hands anymore, but it does look promising. Benfica just has to beat Dinamo at home and hope that Bayern do not allow Barcelona to beat them. And come on, man. I mean, Barcelona's not going to beat Bayern, are they? Um, yeah, no, it's... 
Bayern Munich are a bit of a machine in this competition. Uh, it's 19, 19 to 3 goals, 16 goal difference. They're by far and large the most successful team in the Champions League this season. And this isn't in a group that's not that easy. I mean, you look at paper and it's Barcelona, Benfica and Dinamo Kiev. These are all teams that traditionally have done very well in this competition. And Bayern Munich are basically just scoring there for fun. I think the only reason the result on um, this week in, in Kiev wasn't higher is because the squad is very thin at the moment, right? They only had, uh, I think, 16 players available because of COVID. So um, they did the bare minimum there. But, you know, I've, I've seen Bayern Munich in late Champions League group stage games. A few years ago, I was at, um, at the second leg against Tottenham when they were already through as well. And um, they still beat Tottenham that day 3-0 in a game that they rarely, like... You know, rarely even tried, uh, rarely broke out in a sweat even, you know, they, they just they just get the job done. Uh, they they are a robot in this competition. And I think um, when you look at all the club sites in Europe, they, they are by far and large probably the best club site there is. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a good chance, Adrian, that they will get the job done. But guys, I want to move on to Group G. And this Group G is so interesting for all of us. Um, first of all, because we have a Canadian boy in it and Jonathan David, who just... Speaking of people who just keep scoring, he keeps scoring and scoring and scoring. And we're so very lucky in Canada that, you know, at times he isn't even our number one striker because we have in Kyle Lahren, who was a little unlucky in his own game for Besiktas um, this week, missed out a few opportunities, uh, didn't score. But at times he's he's behind Kyle Lahren. We're so deep on that number nine position. This group G though, guys, um, there's a crazy stat for you. Wolfsburg, we're currently in fourth can finish this group in first, second, but not in third because of their results against Sevilla um, or fourth, of course, where they are right now. They're playing little last in, in what will be a final. Salzburg and Sevilla play each other as well. Um, this group is, we dubbed it the group of life. Josh, I mean, I think that is the most exciting group there on the last match day, isn't it? I mean, it has to be when you're three points be separating you between first and fourth, it's going to make things very interesting. But uh, I mean, I called it the group of life. I think everybody did because you had no idea which way this was going to go. I believe my prediction was something along the lines of, I just felt like with Sevilla's experience, I felt like they were going to be the heavy favorites to top the group. And then it was really take your pick. I had a feeling just of how Lil usually perform in, in Europe. I had a feeling, honestly, they would go something along the lines of like maybe one, one and four or something, something like that. They just weren't able to see it done, but you've seen a bit of a different Lil. I watch a lot of Lil matches this season because of Jonathan David and Jocelyn Gorvenick is one of those kind of hit or miss managers right now. I mean, the results sometimes are there, sometimes aren't. He's been pretty steady in my opinion, going a two, two and one record in the champions league. But I mean, the league form isn't there, but the one consistent factor you can find with Lil is they have a number nine who can put the ball in the back of the net. And that is Jonathan David. Number one reason I watched them. So he better be scoring, which is good to see, but I still think at the last match day there, I, I would like to think that Sevilla are the favorites to still go through. Uh, it's not looking pretty for Salzburg. We've talked about them a lot on the cha- on the on the podcast here about how much uh, they've impressed us with their development, but they they have a tough game. I mean, Sevilla is is not going to be look, looking good and not going to want to go out and uh, to back down to the Europa League. No, it's a competition they love. So, I mean, my guess is that Lille and Sevilla are going to go through, but really, it can end up any single way. Yeah, I'm going to counter that and I'm going to say that uh, Wolfsburg and Salzburg are going to go through um, because I think that Wolfsburg are going to beat Lille in that final ga- game. But we will see. What do you think, Adrian? I mean, this is a really fascinating group on so many levels. 
Yeah, and when the draw happened, I I think I said that you could basically roll the dice and or you know put all the names in a hat, shake a bag, and pull two out, and those will be your your top two teams because it really was that kind of group where you could see it going in any direction. So it's funny to see it actually play out that way as well. And I think that I had Sevilla going through in first, Leland second, Wolfsburg in third because of the Van Bommel tax, which you know commiserations to him. He now it's Kofeld's job to try and get them through, but Salzburg, you know, it's it's. Every team you can see getting a result, you know, you can see any sort of outcome happening with this one. And that's what makes this group incredibly fun and entertaining. So I think I'll stick by my original prediction, but I think we do need to give a shout out to group B as well, which initially was, you know, labeled as the group of death with Milan, Liverpool, Atletico, Liverpool cakewalked this. And now it's sort of a take your bet as to who's going to go through in second, third and fourth, because the final matches are Milan, Liverpool, Milan needing a win there and FC Porto and Atletico. So this is another one where it could go in any direction. Atletico currently in fourth. So a big team, another big team, will be dropping down to the Europa League. I find it crazy that Liverpool are 11 points ahead of third place after just five games. That's that's massive. That's insane. That's not, not supposed to happen in what was supposed to be labeled a group of death. Group of death, not so much for Liverpool. Uh, Jurgen Klopp once again gets it done. Um, speaking about knocking down, and I think we need to briefly touch on this before we go to MLS. Of course, the Europa League games are going on as we record. Um, some interesting results happening at the moment. Uh, Frankfurt looked like they're going through, which is, of course, uh, interesting for me. Um, Leicester beating Liga 3-1. And when you look at the the, the results, um, we found this out today because we kind of looked at the knockout stage. Of course, the team's finishing third in the Champions League will go to a knockout playoff against the teams that finish second in the Europa League. Those games will be played in February. Uh, the teams finishing first in the respective Europa League matches will go straight to the round of 16. And um, of course, the teams that finish third in the Europa League will drop down to the Conference League where they're going to play the round or, or the, well, the knockout stage, which is, will be ahead of the round of 16 where the first team plays teams in the Europa Conference League will straight go into. Um, yes, that's a lot of chuckling going on. Uh, there's a great Wikipedia page that explains this. UEFA undefeated once again and making things more complicated than they need to be. But yeah, there's some really interesting results. Of course, Bayer Leverkusen went through, um, West Ham was through, Sfrina uh, Svetzda, Frankfurt, uh, pretty much through. Leicester uh, could still drop into the Conference League on the current results. Um, Monaco possibly through, Lyon through Rangers uh, could also still advance. So lots of interesting stuff going on in the Europa League. I, it's a competition that I love, uh, especially when it comes to the to the knockout stages because you see some some very interesting clubs there. But guys, speaking about interesting clubs and um, speaking about knockout stages, and I think MLS, MLS has really found the perfect perfect balance now in terms of just having single round elimination. One game, you're through or you're not. And um, we watched these MLS playoffs pretty closely and we touched, off them, or touched on them already uh, earlier this week because, of course, we had the, the, the grand majority of the games uh, taking place in the weekend. So listen back to that. But there was two more games on Tuesday and um, that was Nashville against Orlando 
and uh, saunas against Real Salt Lake. And I feel like we need to talk about this Nashville game first, Josh, because I interviewed Hani Mochta. I spoke to him in great lengths. One of the reasons we actually set up this interview is because he made a fun joke on Instagram about him being undervalued. And I am so sorry. Of course, Filippo isn't here today. I know he works with Orlando. And I feel responsible, Josh, because... I, I gave him a 550,000 plus on his market value update. And he basically said to me, I will show you in the playoffs. And then he does this. I mean, that second goal alone made me look like an idiot. Hey, I mean, he, 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 he challenged him. You knocked out Filippo's team while you're at it. Canadians sticking together. It's, it's good to see. We've got Alistair Johnson one step closer. Sorry, Akindeli, we're going to forget about that. We're going for Alice Johnson. But no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, he, he he's a fantastic player and he's had an unbelievable season this year. Uh, Nashville looks like such a fun team to play for in this in this system right now. They look like they're re- the real deal and could go deep in, in the playoffs here. And they showed up on the day. And in my opinion, they I mean, they were the deserved winners, a brace for him as well. And uh, I mean, it's very cool that you were able to interview him as well, get get a nice little insight there. But um, it, it's a, it's an interesting journeyman that, We've we've talked about and especially behind closed doors about his his career path and what led him to get to the MLS and and now he's got an opportunity to really showcase it and it's like you touched on the MLS knockout playoff is is just so much fun to watch and and I got a little soft spot going for uh, for Nashville right now hoping they can do something pretty dangerous there and uh, it's cool to see your guy get get a brace like that and uh, you might have to rethink your uh, your evaluation of him there Manuel. In fairness, uh, I was vetoed on this. I wanted to go higher. Um, and this is on record. This is on record. I said we should go higher and I was vetoed and I, I didn't fight hard enough. And um, he is going to get a higher evaluation in the next update, which will be in February before the new season starts. And I think this time there will be no more arguing, um, especially <laughs> especially after this. Um, Adrian, I mean, Hani Mukhtar, he's only 26. And um, what I thought was so interesting when I asked him about his career path, and he was with your club in Fika for a while, right? And he said to me when I asked him about that was he's like Benfica was the biggest club by membership at the time and it was a huge opportunity. And then he went to he went to Red Bull to Salzburg and there's a club that we talked about quite a bit as well. Um, they obviously saw his talent. And then to Brandby, where he worked with his former coach Zorniger, who was a really interesting uh, head coach as well, before coming to MLS. And when you look at that, you think like, oh, here's a guy in the early his early thirties. He's only twenty six. And you had so many big clubs that know, have an eye for talent, see his talent. And when I spoke to him, he seemed like a really down-to-earth guy. MLS is not a retirement league anymore. You do get the sense that here is a player who could easily still go back to Europe and perform in a top-five league, right? For sure. For sure. And I think anyone needs to, who is sort of doubting that need just watch this match. Like, yes, Orlando were defending quite openly at times and Nashville's counterattack was like lightning, thanks in part to Hani Mukhtar. But, you know, the, the ability is plain to see. His first goal, sure, deflection, but you still have to take that shot on. The second goal, just dripping in class. So, yeah, he's. it's unfortunate that he's sort of slipped through the cracks when it comes to the European clubs. I mean... You know, it seems unfortunate, but he's doing fine. And I think he's happy in MLS now because the quality is there. And honestly, I think he came to Benfica at sort of the wrong time under the wrong president, a president who is making signings all over the place as favors for agents. I don't know if Mukhtar fell into that category or not, but as as a direct 
outcome of that, a lot of these players were signed and never really saw the light of day at Benfica and were loaned out, similarly to a Yonder Cadiz, who also came off of the bench to score for Nashville, another former Benfica, I guess, property, you could say. I don't know that he's ever featured for them. Uh, but the fact that these things happened, you know, two former two t- two players that were formerly associated with Benfica with these brilliant finishes on the day that Seferovic can't put it away from an empty goal from six yards out. I mean, you can tell that I'm still hurting from that miss. But yeah, the the talent from Hani Mukhtar, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching this Nashville side going forward because in the attack, they're just, oh, they're just so fun to watch. Yeah, they really are. And I, I think um, when he scored that second goal, I was on my feet. Um, it was just a brilliant, brilliant goal. It is the sort of goal that people pay lots of money to go to games to. Um, and if you if you can't find it, I think it's still on my Twitter feed. Just check it out. And if yeah, the interview is still on Transfermarkt. Um, it's just a really interesting guy. Um, great personality, um, one of the nicer people in, this, in the sport, and you want people like that to do well. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what's happening to him. Of course, Nashville have an option that they're going to take. Um, I know that he would like to sign a new long-term deal there eventually. Um, but I, there is, you know, you, you hear you hear things. You hear from Hertha Berlin that are looking for a player like him. Eintracht Frankfurt is another one, and... You know, big Bundesliga teams are snooping about. They see what he can do. And I think Nashville will do really well to give him a new long-term deal. Um, guys, someone will never get a long-term deal at uh, the Seattle Sounders will probably be Ochoa, the goalkeeper who ensured that despite 23 shots to zero against him, his side, Real Salt Lake, after sneaking into the playoffs, literally sneaking into the playoffs, I asked through against the Sounders after a penalty shootout. And these were some fantastic play, uh, penalties as well, Josh. The Sounders are the only team, and I, I, I maintain this to this day. I think the Sounders are the best team, best run team in MLS. And anything can happen in a single knockout game, right? So this is not, we shouldn't go and judge the Sounders on the single match. But this was theater, wasn't it? It, it really was. And, and I, I loved it just because watching from mostly a neutral perspective and knowing that Seattle are so dangerous and you honestly, they're the last team in the MLS knockout stage that you want to get linked up with. And by the skin of their teeth through some controversial refing decisions on that very final decision day, Real Salt Lake sneak in and then put up that performance the way that they did. And and yeah, like you said, really well taken penalties for the, for the pretty much every single one. And then a show coming up big with a big save there, but it's what makes this so fun. In any other league, you could think of a team that it was almost guaranteed. You'd think that they'd have a deep run like this. And then you never know what's going to happen. It's, it's the beautiful thing about knockout football. And, and Seattle's out. And now, in my opinion, this opens this competition way up. And I don't know which way it's going to go. And we could potentially see the same thing for the Revs. Historical season for them. But it comes down to one match. And can you bring it? Or, or is luck not on your side? Or are you going to have some crazy heroics from someone else to, to steer it? It's... It's the thing that makes playoff season so much fun in the MLS, and I'm really curious to see the way this thing can break down now that Seattle's out. Yeah, I feel like these playoffs are the best invention that you can have in football. It's the equivalent of Manchester City getting knocked out in the first round of an English Premier League championship by, let's say, Watford, right? Um, it is a wonderful thing. I think it is a really wonderful thing. I, I did an interview today with um, Patrick Karkowski, who, who plays for Orange County in USL in the league below, right? And he said, like, the playoffs aren't fair. 
it's nothing fair about this format, but it is the best entertainment you can imagine. And it's true, it is. I mean, in the end of the day, sport is entertainment. And I think, I think Adrian, um, that's what we're watching for, right? And this is, I think, what MLS gets so much gets so much more right than a lot of the European leagues. And you know what the crazy thing about this, Adrian, is? Now Real Salt Lake in the conference semifinal will play Sporting Kansas, who they beat on decision day because of a wrong penalty decision, forcing Sporting Kansas to play an extra game and uh, knocking out LA Galaxy in the process. And now we have a rematch of this. Like This can only go one way with Real Salt Lake advancing, right? I mean, that's certainly what it feels like, you know, that's, that's another one of the little bits of magic that you get with this sort of format is these teams that come in, not necessarily having a great season. Maybe they caught fire towards the end of the season and just slipped in, what have you. And then they go on this great run and they upset the big teams. And that's exactly what you want to see. And I, I don't know if it was during this podcast or another video, I apologize, but we spoke about how playoffs and how that format is so beneficial because Take take Germany and North Macedonia, for example. You know, Germany lost that game, whereas they might have beaten them nine out of ten times. That one match happened to be the one in which North Macedonia showed up and were able to beat Germany. So that's what we love to see. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Real Salt Lake to go through. Sometimes teams just get this sort of magic dust to them. You know, it's, when I looked at the statistics that zero shots, zero attempts even... It just made me think of what if this is like a Greece or a or a Portugal at Euro 2016 type of run that potentially we could be bearing witness to in MLS now. There's so many great stories about this. Of course, uh, Real Salt Lake lost their head coach uh, to Seattle Sounders, went to to work there as an assistant instead, and now uh, they knock him out of the of the playoffs. Um, such a wonderful story. And of course, the MLS playoffs continue today. It's American Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, Filippo. Enjoy your turkey and your painkillers. It's a good mix. It makes you put, will you put you straight to sleep. I'm 100% sure. Uh, I'm sure Filippo will be back with us very soon. And yeah, guys, uh, MLS playoffs continue today, of course, with uh, Colorado against Portland. I, I, I accidentally, before the show, said uh, I want to see Seattle play. And then, of course, uh, Josh corrected me and said that they were out. This is how how I thought that they would be hundred percent through, but yeah, um, this is it for us this, this week, guys. Um, obviously we'll be back very, very shortly with a new show and, uh, yeah, enjoy your happy Thanksgiving and, uh, happy Thanksgiving, I guess, because we're Canadians. We celebrate Thanksgiving in October as you should. And, uh, yeah, enjoy your Turkey. Enjoy, enjoy your pies. And until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>